I'm Hemant Mehta. This is Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. And we're here today with Seth Andrews. Seth was not just a Christian for more than 30 years. He was a religious broadcaster and professional video producer as well. Since becoming an atheist, he has put those talents to use on the Thinking Atheist YouTube channel. And if you haven't seen his videos, they are inspiring and beautiful. And also his podcast of the same name, which is currently the most popular show on Blog Talk Radio. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, So tell us about your childhood, because this is really interesting that, you know, most people that I hear from when they say they became an atheist, even though they had a religious background, they tend to change their minds, I don't know, in their teenage years, uh, sometime (laughs) in that range. And you didn't become an atheist until what, you were like 37? Yeah, why are you so slow, Seth? What's your problem? (laughs) What took so long? These are questions I often ask myself. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, what's your background? What's your I background? started the Thinking Atheist website because coming from a, a culture where they say if things stop making sense, you are thinking too hard. You've got to take it on faith. And so I, you know, both Thinking Atheist, but I think to myself, you know, I'm, if people think I'm a great thinker. I'm the idiot who took 30 years to figure out that people couldn't live to be 969 <laughs> years old. <laughs> so, but it, I think it speaks to the power of childhood indoctrination. I mean, we weren't Sunday Christians. We weren't a casually religious family. My mother and father uh, were and remain theologian-level believers. In fact, my mother wrote a Greek New Testament study guide used at the college level. Um, they wrote sermons for pastors. They met at Oral Roberts University. They honeymooned in the Holy Lands. I was in private Christian school from my fourth grade through senior year. I was a spokesperson for Youth for Christ. You know, we went to church. We did memory verses. We prayed before meals. We prayed at bedtime. Our stories were Bible stories. And um, that was our normal. It wasn't, it, we, it just didn't seem fathomable that somebody out there wouldn't believe in God, especially our God and Jesus Christ and the Bible and all that. And, you know, it's funny when you are indoctrinated like that and when everybody around you, you know, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Jesus town, <laughs> everybody's doing it. And it's just unthinkable that there might be, what, a contrary opinion. There might be people who don't believe. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I and then when I became an adult, I became a Christian broadcaster. So then I've got buy-in, right? Not only am I supposed to believe it, but I'm telling other people to believe it. Mm-hmm. So maybe in some ways I was trying to convince myself while I was preaching it or sort of promoting it to others over the airways. Well, I'm sure and that's a lot of for about 12 years. I'm sure that's a lot of positive feedback, too. You tell mm-hmm. them this is what you're supposed to believe. And they're like, yes, I believe. And it just feeds on each other. Yeah. And it's, it's still good stuff. I mean, this was back in the uh, early 90s, back when for the time, controversial pop and rock music. It was Color Me Bad, I Want to Sex You Up, which was <laughs> scandalous to parents at the time. And and uh, George Michael, um, I Want Your Sex, was controversial so much to and the point faith. where they had to put a disclaimer <laughs> on the MTV video, which seems trite here in the year 2014. But back then, it was scandalous. And so there was this sort of market, for lack of a better word, of a family-safe alternative. And that's what Christian radio did. You know, they saw that uh, train coming. So 
they decided to pitch, hey, we're clean, our artists don't smoke or drink or cuss or fornicate, which, by the way, is absolute crap. <laughs> yeah, that's not true at all. They just hide it and they present a better face. Well, it's easier to do that in the 90s than it is today. <laughs> <laughs> and you know something else they did that was interesting, not to digress too much, but they purposefully, in media, Christian media all around the country, purposefully removed Christian or God or faith or spirit or Jesus from their positioning statements and their brands and their logos. And they instead used family and positive as their catchwords. And this was a way so that people are scanning the dial and they hear a catchy song they like, they might start listening to it. And before you know it, that's how they get you. Yeah. That's how they set the hook. Hey, wait a minute. This is religious music. Well, maybe I'll hang around. And that was a strategic marketing move by Christian media all over the country. Well, and that's kind of how now they've sort of co-opted the word values. Values means one very, you know, the very actual specific word type of value. Right. It's yeah. That's yeah. always really bothered and me. And one of these, like, is you know, is that? I mean, I get it, right? The church has always been marketing to some degree. <laughs> you know, I mean, throughout time. There's probably I, I interviewed a young lady in Florida, in Tampa. And she uh, is part of a, a Free Thought Film Festival down there. But she came from youth ministry. She was deeply immersed in the, in the youth culture and in the church. And she said in a video interview we did, she said, everything I learned about marketing, I learned in church. And I've never forgotten that statement because it's absolutely true. Well, they're so good at it. Yeah. And, and let me ask you a question. When you were doing uh, Christian radio, how many people did you reach on, on a pretty good you know, I don't know if you did a daily or weekly, but how many people did you reach on a typical broadcast? Well, you know, it's it's different than podcasting. It's, you know, in, in FM and AM radio, you're rated by what's called an average quarter hour, not to get too much into, into the details of it. But they what they do is there's companies like Arbitron and at the time AccuRatings, and what they would do is they would send out these diaries where people would tell you what they listen to. A hugely subjective and inaccurate way of measuring an audience. But if you listen to five minutes of this station in the first quarter hour, the radio station would be given credit for that whole quarter hour. Mm-hmm. And they would use that to determine how many listeners. And we had, you know, we, we had several thousand people listening at any one time. It wasn't a huge station wattage wise, but we had, um, not translator, but we had towers all over the. Uh, the state of Oklahoma and in Kansas that relayed the same signal. So um, it, they didn't have great numbers. I will say at one point we were number two in adult women in our city, and that includes all formats, whether it was rock, pop, country, yeah. talk, in adult women, which was our target because we believe that if you can get the women to listen, they will control the radio and we will get the men and kids by default. We were number two in the city in Tulsa by 1997. So one of the reasons I ask that is, you know, even the even if you're not like the number one broadcaster uh, for Christian radio in that market or something, you have an enormous reach. And I mean, yeah. you're one of the, the if not the top podcaster for atheism related stuff. And I wonder, uh, do you reach more? Pe- I assume maybe you reach more people now with your podcast because these are people selecting to listen to you. And but it's an international audience and it's yeah. an international audience. And. But one of the things that's always amazing to me, you know, one, in our brightest, I guess, shining moment as an atheist movement, we had like 20,000 people at the Reason Rally in, in Washington, D.C. 
And there yeah. are mega churches, m- many mega churches in America where that's a typical weekend. That's a slow weekend mm-hmm. for them. And it's just overwhelming how much reach and, and people uh, that they have at their disposal that are listening to them. Yeah, you know, I've, you know, FM radio was, even AM radio, I've done both. Um, it was, you know, it, I there were a lot of things that I did like about it, but I'll take a podcast any day. You know, when you, when you are doing corporate radio, especially you are, you know, you talk for seven minutes, you yuck it up with a co-host, perhaps you play a seven minute commercial block news, weather. you're always interrupted. You can't really get into the meat of a lot of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you are really limited and um, and plus, you know, you're hitting people as they're living, as they're working, as they're doing their thing. You know, that's why when someone would buy an advertising campaign on radio, they would buy, uh, we called it frequency, meaning that for people to genuinely hear a commercial, you would have to buy 50 of them and play them all day. We've all known what it's like to hear us a commercial on the radio every five minutes and want to shoot ourselves. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God, stop playing that commercial. Well, the reason that's done is because people listen so passively mm-hmm. to FMAM radio. They're getting their kids ready for school. They're working. They're doing other stuff. They're not really checked in. Podcasting seems to be more focused. People are going, seeking out a show, downloading it, listening to it, maybe not just once, but several times. They'll go back a year later and listen to it. And where you might have three, four, maybe even 10,000 in a quarter hour on FM radio on some of the bigger stations, on a radio podcast, you can have 300,000 downloads on a single show. It's just, and you can swear. <laughs> right. It's just awesome. <laughs> do, you, do you think you like the freedom of being able to say what's on your mind and having those in-depth conversations? Or do you appreciate more the fact that, hey, these people who are listening to you, however few they may be, uh, they really are opting in. They're, they're not forced to listen to you because you're the only thing on the air. They're, they're choosing to listen to you. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot that I really loved about my FM radio days. We were a family. You know, the audience was a family. We'd go to concerts and live broadcasts and special events, and people would come out, and you'd see the same faces and develop relationships. And so I look back at some of those days, and I, I have a tremendous fondness. But I have more of that here in the podcasting arena. And because I'm a storyteller, and I'm probably like you guys, I, I want to be able to take whatever time we need to address a subject without having to watch a clock, without having some corporate consultant tell me that we need to do it differently, but to be able to get into the meat of something. You know, it's funny, on my radio shows, we have some weeks where we'll go 55 minutes, and then we've had other weeks where we'll we'll break two hours. I mean, the show is as long as it needs to be. We just have a tremendous amount of freedom. Is it a perfect formula? No, it's far from perfect. But, you know, I think... FM radio is panicking, and AM radio a little bit, because the Internet has opened the doors. No longer do the big money people, the big corporate giants, control the floodgates of information. You don't have to go spend huge bucks to put up a radio station. You don't have to to have all this capital and influence and get an FCC license. You don't have to do any of that. You can have your voice heard out of your home office, out of your bedroom, and it's re- it's really liberated, I think, media here in the, the year 2014. Right. For sure. And it's a change that I've experienced personally for years now. I mean, on my commute to work, I used to listen to, to the FM dial, 
And now it's all podcasts yep. all the time because yeah. it's stuff I actually want to listen to. I'm not interrupted by the same commercial 50 yeah. times. It's it's actually interesting. Um, you know, I uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Oh, I actually was just going to ask. Um, I I listened to your to your show, and I remember specifically uh, you had one show where you were brave enough to play your old radio broadcasts <laughs> when you which. I loved. When you listen to that, is that does that feel like it's a different person, or do you re- like? Can you put yourself back in that mindset pretty easily? I would like to go back in time, and I'd like to just grab myself by the collar and just shake me. You know, <laughs> wake up! I was that guy. You know, I mean i i um, I was the guy on the radio who um, I remember filling in at KFAQ AM eleven seventy, which was a huge AM talk station in Tulsa, they've got a huge reach and they're, you know, typical Sean Hannity type stuff, right? Michael Savage, conservative talk type stuff. And I was filling in for the morning guy who was on vacation. And one of the clips I played, I think during that, that podcast where we sort of went back in time was, I was, this, I was saying, you know, uh, don't people are trying to take Christ out of Christmas. You said that. Just don't celebrate it. Don't, don't attack our holiday. I mean, I was that guy. I was the Fox news watching Rush Limbaugh listening, uh, true blue. The world is, you know, we are stewards of the earth because, because God gave it to it. And, and all liberals, uh, all, all they want to do is, is, uh, you know, have bored babies and fornicate. You know, I was that cat. You know, <laughs> and I look back at myself and I think I had no business trying to tell other people about the world. I hadn't really experienced the world, and it's uh, unfortunately my mindset at the time is epidemic in this part of the country and many others where you only get your news from Rush. You only get your news from. Bill O'Reilly. You don't trust anybody else. And boy, we're back to that insular community where you have confirmation bias everywhere and it's hard to instigate change in those environments. One of the... Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, Is there anything... Do you, th- do you think there's anything you could have told yourself 20 years ago that would have actually taken hold or do you think you needed to come to it by yourself? I don't know. You know, somebody else asked me that. Do you think your young self would have even listened to your older self. If I had been, if I had known it was me, you know, hey, look, it's me from the future. Maybe I would have, <laughs> it at least would have given me something to think about. If it was a stranger, I don't know. I don't know if I would have entertained it or not. I was cocky and kind of, you know, I was I, I was a know-it-all who knew nothing. I saw know? that on an episode of and, South Park once. Future Cartman, yeah. or old Cartman did not listen to future Cartman. <laughs> Um, if you know, if you I, ask, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I really don't know. It, it, it maybe it happened. Yeah, obviously the seeds of doubt were there, right? Uh, because I eventually crawled my way out of the cocoon. But it, it would have been a fight. It would have been certainly a long lunch had the old and young Seth hooked up <laughs> to talk Jesus for sure. You know, if you ask someone like Dan Barker or Jerry Dewitt, these are guys who were pastors and are now atheists. And you ask them, you know, can you get back in that mindset when you were a preacher? Can you get back in that religious mode? And they, to them, they say it's like flipping a switch. Mm-hmm. Um, if yeah. I asked you, you know, Seth, you're about to host a Christian radio show, get back in that mindset. What changes in your mind? Like, what ha- what would you do right now if you had to get back into Christian mode compared to your well, regular broadcasts? You know, when I first started in Christian radio, we did overtly spiritual stuff. We even had a prayer time at night. 
uh, 11.45 p.m. when I worked the late shift. You would take prayer requests all evening, and then you'd play the soft music, and you'd actually take time on the air to have a prayer. Dear Lord, we want to pray for Bob. Bob sent us a message, and his son has leukemia, you know, or he lost his dog, or, you know, something like that. And so we'd pray every night. And so I was always speaking that. But once we got into that positive hits, safe for the family, your family station, we on the air even mitigated our spiritual talk so that we were really talking more about pop culture, entertainment-based lifestyle stuff. So, I mean, I could probably do some of the material I do now, or I, you, I could do at a secular station, some of the tamer stuff. You'll hear that on Christian radio. I wasn't a preacher. Uh, we didn't go and evangelize. We let the music do the evangelizing for us, and then we were more of the glue and the entertainment and uh, the relationship part of it that happened between the songs. Do you still keep in contact with any of your old co-hosts from those days? Well, yeah, I mean, Jim Marbles was uh, tremendously into His name was Seth and Marbles of the Morning was the name of the show. <laughs> and um, we still keep in touch. Uh, he moved out of state and had a semi-retired. Um, my, the boss of my Christian radio station, he was my boss for 10 years at KXOJ, contacted me last year. He's like, hey, I didn't realize you'd become this big atheist activist. Man, I sure like would like to come on your show because I've got a perspective on Jesus Christ that I don't <laughs> think your listeners have heard yet. And, 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 and your like, response was? Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> 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 we he came on the air and it was two it was a, it was a waste of time. Essentially, it was it was it's not a religion; it's a relationship, right? He was right. talking wistfully about his about Jesus and and how worthless he is without God, and how he's powerless without Jesus. But, I mean, there were no proofs given. It was a waste of time. Did he actually but, think yeah, that I mean, atheists we'll hadn't heard that perspective? Did he actually think atheists had not heard that one before? Uh, he talk about insular. Um, <laughs> you know, I, he, he is one of those guys, he actually told me, you are the only atheist I know. You're the only atheist <laughs> in my, my circle. And, you know, man, you know, if if you are a guy who owns 20 media outlets all around the country, and his media enterprise does now. They're wildly successful. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are a guy who's done public speaking, he runs a website called Belief Changers. If you are that social, interacting with that many people, and I'm the only atheist you know, <laughs> that is a huge flashing red flag for you know confirmation bias and the fact that maybe it's time to open the doors and windows and let some fresh air into the cobwebs. Um, so I know you are, uh, you've been touring around with uh, Matt Dillahunty and Arne Rao, is that right? That is correct. In fact, we're doing our next stop in the tour um, two days from now. Am I supposed to say that because we're recording? It's okay. <laughs> we'll we'll preaching. air this sometime in 2016 or something yeah, like that. Right, so. Never mind. It'll let me edit that out. <laughs> ask me the question again, I'll fix it. <laughs> Well, so uh, so the three of you, you, Matt Dillahunty, Arn Ra, you all come from a similar background, is that right? You all grew up, or I know you and Matt Dillahunty did. I'm not as familiar with Arn Ra. Yeah, Arn didn't, I mean, religious isn't, and I always kind of tweak Arn a little bit because, you know, he, he sort of sampled at the buffet <laughs> of spirituality. I mean, he did mysticism and channeling of the spirits, and, you know, he, oh, that's he, right. he's done all kinds of crazy stuff. I and mean, it's great to get him talking about it, you know. What do you all um, talk about the, on your uh, tour together? When you get together with a crowd, what are you guys talking about? Well, uh, 
We actually split the uh, tour up into three short segments where we all go out and do a short presentation. But really, the most fun part of the evening is we all come together on stage and we just interact with the audience. And it's not necessarily that we have any great wisdom, but it's just a time to talk, to exchange ideas, to challenge each other. Many times we'll have religious people in the audience who come and they will challenge us and we'll talk about about faith and the historicity of Scripture and the morality of the Christian God or Allah or whoever. And more than anything else, it is a it's a chance just to sort of rub elbows with free thinkers. And there are a lot of people in this movement who sort of eschew and reject the idea of doing anything as a group. I, I left one church. You're not going to make me go to—I'm not a sheep. I'm not <laughs> going to be led into another herd. And I'm always thinking to myself, that's just crap, you know? We're relational creatures. We need each other. The church doesn't get to stamp a brand of ownership on this. Yeah, the church doesn't own community. The church doesn't own relationships. The biggest reason we get together is just to hang out with the audience and connect with them. So we didn't actually ask you, but you deconverted at like 37. What was it that uh, broke the camel's back there? What was it that really made you change and become an atheist? Well, you know, I talk about it in my book, there were two big things and about a thousand small things. But the big things, uh, very quickly, in 1997, a Christian artist named Rich Mullins was beloved by the Christian audience. He was horribly killed in a Jeep accident. And I was charged to go on the radio late at night when we got the news and inform our listeners, you know, he'd been run over by a semi-truck in the middle of the highway. It was just a horrible way to die. And, of course, we're saying the words of comfort. God called him home. He's in a place where there's no pain, only joy. We'll meet him again, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, you know, the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is God's plan? <laughs> well, this is the best he could come up with? You know, to propel this guy to the forefront of ministry, beloved by millions, to have him ripped away, to, to give his mother a closed casket? This just doesn't make sense. We're just coping is what we're doing. And then the second thing was uh, the attack of 9-11. I was on the air at another Christian station, Live 101.5 FM. I was sort of the token Christian in a row of six radio stations. And as the buildings burned, they came in and asked me to pray for our country. And, of course, you know, I'm saying the things that you say during a prayer, dear God, please be with the rescuers as they try to find victims. Please comfort the grieving, you know. But they just felt empty because I thought, geez, this— this ship has sailed, man. You know, this has already happened. God, if he had really cared, could have invalidated some passports. He could have locked everybody up in a traffic jam. He could have afflicted them with palsy. He could have been any number Could of have made it rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and it was those two major events that sort of caused me to check out for a few years. Ah, oh, you know what? Screw it. I'm just not going to deal with it anymore. And then there's something maybe about approaching midlife as I, as I cruise toward the age of 40. I thought, well, why am I apologizing? Why am I stepping on eggshells with these people? I'm going to go figure this thing out. And when you start asking questions, well, that's what... Oh, why would you do that? <laughs> Don't ask yeah. questions. Why do you think your listeners connect with what you're saying now so well? You know, I've asked myself that question. I, people talk about why broadcasters get into radio are you um you know are you egotistical uh are you insane are you insecure and you need adulation and i always look at them and i just say 
Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's probably some of that. I, you know, I, I, I'm like anybody else. I, I want people to benefit from my work. I want them to respond to what I do. I think we all feel that way. Mm-hmm. But people who get into media maybe have an amplified version of that. And when I got into the, to the movement, you know, there were a lot of loud voices out there, but I didn't hear a lot of kind ones. I heard yours, him, and, and a few others, but I, I, I caught a lot of just rage, just, and I get anger that people have been duped. They're upset about the indoctrination of kids and women's rights and the abuse of power and corruption. I mean, I get anger, but that's all I heard. And I thought, yeah, I, I think I'd like to, you know, to in, inject some compassion in because I, I love people and I think there may be some hunger for that. I also kind of came to the conclusion that while people admired Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, who was still alive at the time, they admire those people. They relate to me. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy who, you know, I'm the guy who's just taking a day at a time, making mistakes, trying to figure it out, talking over coffee, talking over a beer. And so they're not intimidated and I'm approachable. And I think that may be part of what explains the success of the show. You know, I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to say, my site's the thinking atheist, but I'm just this dumb schlub who's just trying to, I'm just trying to figure it out with everybody else. We're all in this together. So let's do it together. And they seem to be responding to that. Do you think that's, I'm sorry, do you think that's a big change from Christian radio where the personalities seem to be the oracles of wisdom and they're doling it out as opposed to trying to figure it out as they go through it? That type of Christian radio is very predominant in AM radio when you're doing a lot of pastors. You know, Charles Stanley, James Dobson, Focus on the Family, Adrian Rogers, Joyce Meyer. Uh, You know, you've got a lot of these sort of oracles who are giving you their wisdom. But mainstream music-driven, almost entertainment-based radio, that was relational as well. You're just laughing it up. You're swapping stories about the kids and the time that, you know, you... You uh, you know you're you're uh, you, know, you forgot your dog in the backyard all night and you woke up the next day and you were horrified about it you know you just tell lifestyle type stories and people relate to that and um, radio we call it a relate when you say something on the air and somebody in the audience goes oh yeah I can and I get that mm-hmm. I well I've been through that or I know someone who's been through that or I can relate to those feelings we call that a relate. And it creates a moment of connection where people can take you personally and they take the story you're telling personally. And, you know, I, I feel like while we're out here swinging for the fences trying to promote reason in a highly superstitious world, it's just fine to bring out the Victor Stingers and, and uh, you know, these hugely erudite, uh, very high-level minds to teach deep science philosophy those types of things need to be done but in a lot of ways the audience will not relate they are hungry for someone who can say hey you're not broken you're you're not alone it's okay you have you don't need someone else's permission to ask questions you're not required to inherit somebody else's worldview or to live a life that they carved for you you aren't broken you're not a pervert you know, and just to just to encourage and assure them. And I think we need more of those voices in the movement every single day. Well, and I think you also bring an interesting, well, maybe not unique perspective, but uh, somebody like myself, I didn't grow up religious. I never believed in God. While I didn't call myself an atheist until I was in 
you know, college, like a lot of, <laughs> like, seems to be the situation with a lot of people. Yeah. I can certainly sympathize with somebody who's struggling with their faith or who made mistakes, you know, what they now consider mistakes in the past. Somebody like you can actually empathize. You were there. You were, you went through that transition. Do you think that helps you better relate to people who are, you know, trying to transition into, you know, more reasoned Who have doubts but right. are on the Fed fence right now? Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that. I've had people ask me, look, man, if you had the chance to, like, not be religious, to not grow up religious, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Aren't you jealous of those? And in some ways, yeah, it'd be awesome to have been taught how to think instead of what to think as a child and to have been able to embrace Carl Sagan's cosmos when I was a kid instead of being told how evil it was and all that. But I will say the flip side of that coin has been being so immersed in Christianity and the culture and the church, I mean, I've shot video as a professional video producer for hundreds of churches all around the country. Um, I know what they're preaching from the pulpit. I know what they're telling young people. I know what they're indoctrinating young children with. I know what their tactics are. I know what the people are like. And because I do know, I can better speak to it as a free thinker. And I can better communicate, I think, to those, to some of those inside the church. You know, one of the biggest myths I want to dispel out there is that just because someone is religious, they're an idiot or mm-hmm. they're insane or any number of insults that we hear these lazy, hazy, superiority complex types toss out. You know, you'll find the best and worst in any culture. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that people in my life who are religious, they're not stupid. They're not evil. They're not haters. Um, they're doing their best to live their lives. They're products of family and culture. And in many ways, they're victims. And I'd like to see, you know, we need to have certainly force when we need it and fortitude and strength. But I also would like to see some compassion and understanding and empathy out there. These people, you know, they're not out. Uh, you know, burning homosexuals in the street. They have some very wrong ideas about that kind of thing. But many of them are victims, and we need to see them as such. What do you think radio hosts, Christian radio hosts, and uh, the, the people who work at churches, what do they do that is so powerful? What are they getting right that all of us should really take a lesson from? Well, much of it is the cult of personality, Um we see this heavily in like African-American churches mm-hmm. uh, where you'll have almost almost pastor worship. You know, a bishop will be there with like, you know, uh, 20 deacons, and, and he's he's almost deified. We've seen oil paintings of the pastor in the lobbies. And, and, you and know, these are the pastors these who's... Places where you go into the megachurch, and they're under the, the lights and the big stage. You know, Joel Osteen, you look at that guy, and you think, this is, this is the personality. What has he really said that is groundbreaking to anyone. You know, you are somebody. You can do it. You are special in God's eyes. Well, stop the presses, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can get that off of the back of, of, of a wrapper of double bubble for Pete's sake. That's not groundbreaking stuff, but, but he has a bigger-than-life magnetic personality, and people respond to that. That's one thing. But is that something I we should the, emulate? Is that, sorry, go ahead. is that something we should emulate? I mean, I would think that's the one thing we want to get away from, which is that, you know what, if Richard Dawkins didn't write The God Delusion, it, it would still make sense. And we, it, it's not about him, it's about the ideas. I mean, that's kind of where we want to get to. Uh, Tracy Harris was on the show last week and had the atheist experience when we were talking about, you know, how the, it, it is 
something that we need to look out for. And, you know, Matt Delahunty, when he was debating in Memphis recently, said, um, I think his, his antagonist said something like, you know, Matt's followers do this, Matt's followers do that. And Matt said, you know what, uh, follow me on Facebook, but don't follow me anywhere else. You know, <laughs> go out and, and blaze your own trail and form your own opinions and, and, and vet everything I say. And I think you can respond. I respond to Matt's work. The God Delusion was a game-changing book in my own life, and I admit to a tremendous admiration for Richard Dawkins and what he's accomplished. But unlike many spiritual leaders, I don't think free thinkers hold these people as above criticism or reproach. In fact, you know, those who say that Richard Dawkins is the Pied Piper of atheism and we're all lemmings following him over the cliff – reveal how little they know about free thinkers. <laughs> you know, we're independent thinkers. Often, uh, you know, we bring healthy egos to the equation. And if somebody says something that doesn't ring true, a great many of us will jump in and challenge whatever that is. And I think as long as you keep the ideas in check and it's not hero worship, I think it's just fine to admire the people who've made a difference in this world and in our own lives. Well, uh, Seth, we are just about out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Hope I haven't been too verbose. You know, we radio guys tend to blather on. No, not <laughs> a problem at all. Real joy. <laughs> Thank you, Seth. And by the way, I should mention, uh, when we were getting this podcast uh, ready to go and about to launch, Seth helped us a lot out. So for that, yeah. too, Seth, thank you for your help. I'm excited. I'm a fan of you. I'm a fan of your work. I'm a fan of the tone of your of your writing, of your blog, of your videos. I think that you guys are totally worth supporting, and I'm excited to be a part of the show in any way, and I wish you and yours and your audience all the very best. Thanks, thank you Seth. so much. And thank you all for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's he T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Metta. I'm Jessica Blumke. Thank you for stopping in. We hope you join us next time.